0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome into Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Near Falls with D. Hall. He's talking on bars and how they win it all. Yeah, it's just Near Falls with D. Hall. The final takedown, the glory or the fall. So loosen up. Step on in, wrestle with the need to win. We're talking Near Falls with D. Hall. Ready or not, he's here to brawl. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another edition of Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Today, our featured guest is Mr. Mason Beckman of Reynolds High School and Lehigh University. Mason Beckman's accomplishments include a 98 and 0 run his junior senior in high school ending in two state championships he was a two-time ironman champ uh, and going into uh, lehigh he was second in the weight class and sixth overall uh, in the entire country in college his accolades did not stop from there he was a two-time all-american compiling a career record of 104 and 37. so just a couple quick announcements before we have mason on with us Uh, I want you guys to continue to check out the D3 Nation podcast, uh, the Bonaventure twins from Waynesburg University. Uh, they're really, really doing some good stuff over there. Uh, really informative. They, they know the D3 landscape very, very well. They've been uh, in it for over a decade. Um, and if you guys uh, you know, continue to like this podcast, I'm actually having some merch. Uh, I've just been getting a release that I've been having. Uh, I just got some hats made. And I'm getting t-shirts made here in a couple months. So, you know, reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I can get that to you guys if you guys so choose to do that. But with all that being said, let's bring in Mason. Mason, how you doing today, buddy? Thanks for coming into the podcast.
1: Doing well, man. I really appreciate you having me on. You know, like I said, doing well, just another day in paradise.
0: I hear you, man. And, uh, you know, you're kind of uh, a little bit different from anyone I've had on uh, in the sense that you have some, uh, podcasting experience. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I first heard about you, uh, you, you, you ran a, a college podcast, uh, for PA power a couple years ago. And I really, really enjoyed that. It was, I loved uh, hearing you guys talk about the PA guys in college. Um, it, and also I've seen, I heard you dabble a little bit on the HMA podcast uh, with Sam and Jude mm-hmm. and they're both awesome kids. And, um, you know, and I've known about you for a long time because we're the same age and, you know, I'm a wrestling nut quite like you and uh, what really jumped out to me right off the bat is, uh, you know, I thought I knew wrestling really well and then I hear you talk and you're like an encyclopedia when it comes to wrestling, like way more and I thought, you know, hey, I, I know what I'm talking about, but you blow me out of the water for sure. And and we're going to get into all that and I, I love it. So right off the bat, um, like I said, I kind of start everyone the same way, but I think it's important. Uh, How did you kind of get in the start of wrestling? Um, We're going to talk about your journey here. How'd you Mm -hmm. get in the start? Um, Obviously you went to Reynolds and you're very successful,
1: but how did you get into, you know, how'd you start wrestling? Um, Literally from day one, you know, my dad, dad wrestled at Reynolds, you know, he grew up and wrestled at Reynolds and everything. So it's in my blood, it's in my family. When I was you know my brother's four years older than me he's wrestled I think he started wrestling around age like seven or eight you know and he's four years older than me right so I literally grew up since before I can even remember following my big brother Lawrence around going to practice with my dad and brother you know my dad was coach my brother was wrestling so um you know I was born uh, actually in Latrobe we lived in Stallstown uh, Ligonier Valley School District at the time you know my brother I think went to like kindergarten first and second grade there um, so when my brother started wrestling. I would tag along. Um, there's some funny stories from those days. You know, I, uh, I think I pulled the fire alarm <laughs> during practice one day. Cause I got bored. Um, you know, just stupid little kid stuff. But yeah, I literally grew up in the wrestling room. Um, some of my earliest memories in the room where I'd be sitting there playing with, uh, like my matchbox cars, Tonka trucks or whatever. And kind of the way I learned was for however long my attention span would last. My dad would be like, Hey Mace, come here. You know learn a penetration step right and invariably as all four or five year olds do right it doesn't take long your, your focus is gone You're like i right, go back and play with the trucks and I, that's kind of how i started to learn um so right. yeah there's i don't have memories of my life without wrestling right so
0: and that doesn't
1: uh that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. that kind of happens
0: i uh, just two quick things that I've had, uh, Coach Slack was on with me last week uh, from Kenna McMillan Mm -hmm. and uh, he's gonna be, his episode's gonna be released right before yours. And uh, he said the same thing. His rule of thumb is uh, for however old they are, that's the amount of minutes that you can have their attention span per hour. So if they're five years old, you get five minutes per hour on uh, attention span. And I thought that that was very informative. And then uh, Anthony Zanetta and Nick Zanetta said the same thing with their older brother, JJ, going to practice and their dad kind of dragging them along and running around the wrestling room and bouncing off the walls and stuff like that. But I mean, really, realistically, a lot of kids grow up, wrestling's a sport that's a family bloodline and you kind of just grow up in it. And you know, I'm not surprised to hear that about you. So moving past kind of your start and uh you know obviously like i said you go on to be very successful in high school did you remember a time or do you remember uh a point where you noticed that you started the jump levels that you really started to get okay i'm excelling at this i'm really want to do this in college do you remember a point when that happened uh like into your youth career and maybe in a little bit in the middle school
1: uh, to be honest with you, um, so a couple of things, you know, one, I started at such a young age, and my brother being four years older, um, and obviously my dad grew up in the sport and everything, but my brother was kind of the crash test dummy, so to speak, right? And, and you know, not by design, that's just the nature of being the oldest. Lawrence, uh, you know, and Lawrence had a very successful career too, placed all four years in the state tournament in high school, placed Iron Ironman four times and everything. Um, you know, heck when he graduated, he had the school and county wins record for his career. So, but, but with Lawrence, my dad learned a lot of lessons about things that do and don't work, right? There's a lot of trial and error that goes into coaching, especially at that really fundamental level with young kids. So I was the beneficiary of all, literally all of those lessons. Um, so, you know, I was really, really fortunate, like every time I went to PJWs, you know, I wrestled four years at nine and 10. Um, So I wrestled nine and 10 from the time I was seven years old through the time I was 10. Um, even as a seven year old, you know, and I was a little guy wrestling 40 or 45 pounds, whatever it was, but Mm -hmm. like I placed, I don't know, third or fourth, the first year I ever tried to wrestle PJWs and stuff. So I was pretty fortunate that, um, you know, I was always relatively successful. Um, and I, I, that's directly to the coaching, you know, with my dad and, um you know we moved to reynolds before i ever started kindergarten too so the reynolds youth program and my dad like that that's all them but as far as getting it to click like when i really thought that college was a real possibility growing up it was always what i wanted to do was to wrestle in college you know and You know, kids now, it's funny, I'm only 27, right? it's not like we're that old, but it is different now, the coverage of NCAAs. It's night and day, man. You can watch every match, every round. When we were growing up, um, you couldn't even watch the full seven minutes of each NCAA final. But even that, like, anytime wrestling was on TV, anytime college wrestling was on, um, we were trying to find ways to watch it. So it was what I wanted to do. Um, And when I, I would probably say around, seventh or eighth grade somewhere in there was I really got it in my head that you know winning an NCAA title was a major like something that I thought was a realistic goal for me you know I knew it was going to be extremely difficult you know and obviously the numbers percentage-wise are super low but that was something I looked at and I'm like I want to wrestle on Saturday at the national tournament and I want to wrestle on Saturday night Um, so I would probably say right about junior high was the time where that became a I mean, that, you know, state title, national title, right? Those are your two primary focuses.
0: Right. And uh, so talking about that, and, you know, you go, you touch a little bit on, uh, you know, the percentages and things of that nature, and mm-hmm. and you're 100% right. The wrestling ha- is in a spot now where there's more coverage, more access to everything than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's absolutely incredible how we've morphed and how we've grown in the sport. We still have a lot long way to go, but, Uh, for as much as, you know, and exactly like you said, back in the day when we were, you know, 11, 10 years old, there wasn't full Mm -hmm. seven minute final matches. And you watch some like the old school matches on like Facebook and stuff, you know, like Brock Lesnar back in like 2000 or whatever. He had what, you know, like real clip little snippets and then how it ended and stuff. It's crazy, man. Uh, So moving into it, uh, you know, you really find your stride your junior year of high school. You know, you're winning uh, Ironman championships, which Ironman a- is probably uh, outside of Super 32 the toughest uh, high school tournament, folk style wise, in the entire country. Um, yeah. What clicked for you, your ju- going into your junior high school, because you start to become dominant, um, and you know, not a lot of guys can say they won two state championships and two Ironman championships. That's a pretty impressive feat. So, talk about uh, your maturation
1: process and how
0: uh you got to that
1: point so it goes back to my sophomore year so well okay so my freshman year you know i take fifth at iron man um i don't want to say i you know i had an up and down season but i lost some bouts that i you know i shouldn't have you know i lost a couple matches at the state duels that i shouldn't have and everything but I make the state finals and I lose in a ride out because I couldn't, uh, couldn't get out of a crab ride. Actually, Luke Fry beats me. I couldn't get out on bottom. I spent like four minutes on that match on bottom. Luke Frey, What a name. I so love, next I, year. I forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, man. We like hated each other for a couple of years because yeah. we competed against each other. And now like anytime we see each other, we've become good friends. Um, but so the next year, my sophomore year, um, shore up some things on bottom go through the year. And the thing that, um, Bit me in the butt there at the state tournament in the quarters against Zach Bites was, um, you know, I I just wasn't, I didn't try to build leads. You know, I won a lot of matches, three, five, nothing, you know, seven, one or two kind of thing. Matches where I could have really opened it up if I had chosen to. Um, You know, and Zach um, was a three-one match that I was winning. I'd spent pretty much the whole match on top. Um, last 30 seconds i shot to try to stall and he uh shin wizard tilted me for for four or five or whatever it was and you know that's the match right so afterwards you know where they keep that section of chairs is behind the boards at hershey i walked over and i remember that's the maddest my dad has ever been to me after a match um you know again he was one of my high school coaches and it, it wasn't a result thing it was just i didn't wrestle well you know there wasn't right. and i'll be the first to tell you i didn't put a whole lot of effort into that match i was trying to <laughs> score one takedown and win 3-1 man so and, and it bit me right so i walk off you know and the way i explain it to people is like if you've ever seen saving private ryan at, when they this the scene where they storm the beach and he's shell shocked and it's almost like his ears are ringing that's actually obviously a totally different scenario but that's how I felt walking off. Like I couldn't hear anything. I just couldn't wrap my head around what had happened because I was so mad at myself. So I walk over and I sit down in those chairs behind the boards. Didn't talk to anybody for, I don't know, probably 20, 30 minutes. Hard to say. Finally, I'm like, all right, well, I got to get up. Like I got to wrestle again this round. And I get up and I walk over and my dad's standing at the end of the boards. And I walk over and he looks at me and goes, well, what do you think? I go, I'm never losing again. He goes, okay, do you understand what, you know, he kind of goes, okay, do yeah. you understand what that entails? I go, yeah, I'll kill myself before I ever lose like that again. He just And he just goes, fair enough, I'm on board. So... Take 3rd that weekend. Um, now, now let me cut you off. Did you understand
0: third. the gravity of that comment at the time? Or were you, was it just emotions were running high and you kind of just said something? Because that's a big statement to make, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, no, I and I did. That's literally when I sat there for those 30 minutes, that's all that was bouncing around in my head. And it wasn't that I'd gotten beat necessarily. It was the feeling you get when you know – that there are things you could have done. You know, and I worked hard to a degree at that point, but I wasn't the guy that um that was killing myself every night, that was doing every single little thing, um and whatnot. And that's the that's all that was going on going on in my head was the things I didn't do. So that was a decision, you know, however long I sat in those chairs for, that's in my head of, you know, like I said to my dad, I'm like, I throw myself in a process before I let that happen again, you know. And You know the way that I've looked at it, and we talked about it after you know after Hershey and everything. I'm like, if I do get beat, it will never be because there was something else I could have done. If I get beat, I get beat. That's fine. That's life, man. Um. So yeah. So I take third that weekend. That summer, you know, and I'd been a Quest kid from the time within the first year that the gym opened the club up. uh, My brother and I went down. So I was probably, I would guess about nine, eight or nine. Um. That I started going down to we started going down to gym so that whole summer I went down to Quest three days a week and um so Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday at Quest and then Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays I would drive over Kent State's only 45 minutes from from Reynolds so I'd drive over the state line and go work out with Nick Bedleon, who was a couple time All-American and somebody that I'd wrestled on um, some club teams with Danny Mitchiff who was an All-American um and you know, they, when they would have club practice, Josh Moore would run it. So I'd wrestle with Josh too. So six days a week, all summer, um, you know, and four of those I'd lift and the other days I'd go wrestle. And that was really, you know, that lost the bites and that 30 minute window sitting there understanding what had happened and more, more so understanding why it had happened. That, to be honest, that was the, that was the best thing that ever happened to me wrestling wise.
0: So everyone has those stories where they kind of hit the roadblock in their career, and for you to kind mm-hmm. of attack it in that way it's a completely different story than what I've ever heard before. And obviously, that's that's a telltale sign because of why you became successful. Um, so you know, we, you, you touch on Quest, and we're going to get a bunch into Quest later because uh, you know you're there now and you're helping out Jim, and uh, and it's really really successful. Um, so you go on your junior year uh and obviously you're on a tear you're, you're, you're running through you win the iron man tournament uh which is you know that's unbelievable and, and you go into your your you go into the state tournament and this has kind of been a house of horrors for you for you because of you know you, you, you lose the last year and you kind of had to find yourself you get the you get the job done and you take first talk to me about standing on top of that podium for the first time realizing one of the goals that you've been working on since you said, you know, eight or nine years old?
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's hard to put into words, especially because for us, it always, you know, to where we started, it was always such a family thing. You know, my dad wrestled for Reynolds. Um, I was ranked first in the state. You know, he didn't win a state title. My brother made the semis three times, placed all four years, never made the finals, never won a state title, obviously you know, then my freshman year, one of us finally makes the finals. I lose it right out. The next year, I get 5.0 with 30 seconds left. So, it's getting to the point, you know, where, and I was pretty loose the whole tournament my junior year uh, in Hershey, but warming up for the finals, there's always that voice, not warming up, but, you know, that morning, like, man alive, if today's not the day, I don't know if it's in the cards for our family. You know, it, it just kind of almost being blunt with yourself i'm like if the way things have gone for us this year man if this isn't it and you know i had to wrestle a top 10 kid in the country to win um that night you know michael roan from benton so but
0: just going into it so so well we'll, and i'll cut you off a little bit here because we talked a little bit off air and um this is when i first kind of knew about you uh i wrestled for west allegheny and i'm you know i'm friends with aaron mckinney and troy Mm regard and stuff so we're watching the the finals and we see this kid reach over and grab the mat and the mat pulls up (laughs) off the thing and you know this kid is our kids freaking dragging him back into the mat and i'm like what the hell just happened there jeez and you know penalty point this whole deal it was like I've never seen anything oh, like yeah. that before in my life. So obviously, that was you and, and Mike Rohn from uh, Benton. Yep. You know, the Roans are a, a big family from Benton. Um, yeah. So talk about that situation. And for those of you out there listening, all you have to do is Google Mason's name, and it's like one of the second things that pop up. You know, he's a two-time All-American and two-time state champ, but that, that picture is one of the first things that pop up, which is crazy. But talk about that situation <laughs> for me, Mason
1: uh you kind of hit the nail on the head it was like so oddly enough it, something similar had happened to me the year prior and i think the Conte semis um but in one of my consolation matches the year before i was on top and was winning by like two or three and with like 30 seconds left and i had to keep broken down and it wasn't the edge of the mat it was like the scene and for some reason tape didn't cover the whole thing it was like they had like checkered or like intermittently put strips of tape. So the year before I remember watching it happen, like that time, actually, I grabbed a kid's hand, pulled it back, just, we kept wrestling, nothing <laughs> got called. So I remember it happened in the finals and there were two initial reactions. As it started to happen, like, because I actually recognized it before the mat came up. Um, just, I don't know, sight line, whatever, but something, it clicked in my brain. As soon as I saw Mike's hand grab it, the thought in my head was, how does this happen to me every year here? <laughs> was the initial reaction, and then the mat came up, and Hat and uh, Bruce Hasselrig was the ref. Hasselrig blew it dead, and I understand why he blew it dead. It's just a knee jerk reaction of like, well, like you can't do that. And I was I was actually mad because I was gonna finish the shot, and I wanted to out of it.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And if
1: I don't know, I, I don't, I don't know if there's film of it that exists outside of the PCN uh, tape or whatever. But I remember. Hasselrig blew it dead and I stood up and looked at him like all I could do is I'm like do I get two for that <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually and I've talked to you know Russ Hughes was the Benton coach at the time uh you know and I wrestled for his twin brother John at Lehigh Russ and I laughed about it he's like yeah that was perfect strategy Ron. he's like we were dead we only gave up one <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess if you look at it that way that's definitely a
0: good strategy
1: yeah and that uh, picture's funny man because it's not indicative of how that match was. That was the only sequence of the entire bout where either either one of us got to a leg. Um, it was a two nothing match on an escape and a penalty point, and um, and that's the lasting image. Yeah. So
0: you know you get the job done and you're on top of the podium. What's it like on top of the mountain there?
1: For for me, it was just pure catharsis. Um, An attire and don't get me wrong. It's incredibly exciting. It's so it's emotional in so many ways. But like you said, um, I feel bad saying this because like in six trips, my brother and I prior to then in six trips, we would brought home six medals and Hershey, but it had been a house of horrors like we'd had some really, really painful memories. Um, And in that span of six minutes or whatever, they're gone. So it was just really cathartic, really freeing. Um, After I remember getting off the podium and standing, you know, standing in the tunnel taking family pictures and all the fun stuff. And I remember we get done taking pictures and my brother was there. And I kind of like lifted, you know, like picked the medal up and looked at it for the first time since my dad had put it on me on the podium. And I looked at it and I just like started to get emotional. It was like, we finally got one. Like, this is actually real. <laughs> yeah, man.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, I, uh, just from an outside perspective looking in on something like, like that um, here at West Allegheny you know I'm a big part of the West Allegheny program and gladiators out here and mm-hmm. um, you know that's kind of how it is for us we haven't had a state champ in our school yet and we've had a lot of good guys come right. through yeah so it's been a house of horrors for us and we got some really good mm-hmm. young kids coming through and we're hoping to finally get one but I could kind of sympathize from where you guys are coming through and there's you know if anyone knows me there's no bigger fan or you know than these guys at west allegheny i love these kids they're my little brothers man and uh i, I can i can understand and sympathize with that for yeah. sure so you know let's move on uh Pastor junior you get the job done
1: mm-hmm.
0: with senior year did you face any real challenges because you you know you're obviously your second in the country you're sixth overall uh when you end up going to lehigh um before we get into your recruitment talk about your senior year a little bit and uh you know was it kind of a breeze or did you really like use it to focus and get ready for college
1: yeah so it definitely wasn't a breeze um the mindset that has all that was always instilled in me from you know my dad from the program at reynolds to you know and jim acreley um especially my dad and jim and that i don't mean that negative way towards reynolds it was just those two are the ones that year round I spent the most time with. Right. Um, it was always just about getting better. You know, always knew that there were. Obviously, you do some things well, but there are things we can do better. And that's not to say that like you're getting harped on all the time. It's just like, all right, let's find the next thing. So that was, you know, that was always a thought process. Um, literally, we had a mat in our basement in our house. Um, same mat I learned to wrestle on. And the Sunday, the day after. You know, because AA wrestles their finals at 2 or whatever it is. It's early afternoon. So, we always went home after the finals. And the next day, that Sunday, Um, the next morning, my dad and I were on the mat in the basement, you know, already <laughs> figuring things out. So I love it. You know, it just never kind of stopped. You know, that's actually what I enjoyed. So, senior year, competition-wise, was still really, really tough. You know, I wrestled, I think, three top five kids in the country that year between wow. – um, Mark Gray, Alex Cisneros at Ironman, and then um, uh, Jeff Alexander, I mean, Alexander and I was a ultimate ride out in the state semis, um, you know, and I think he was ranked fourth or fifth in the country, so it definitely wasn't a breeze, you know, I wrestled, um, uh, Brock Sackrell actually was a 119 pounder for Brookville that year as a freshman, he actually bumped up in the duel to wrestle me, that was really, really fun, um, you know, and that was, I think, a five-nothing match, but you know, so it definitely wasn't like just on autopilot. You know, wrestling a Pennsylvanian right. with the schedule that Reynolds does, there's really no such thing. Right. But you know, the other part of your question, my focus was completely on the college level. Um, I had already, you know, to be honest, I had accomplished everything I wanted to at the high school level, right? With between Ironman and PIAAs, I'm like, okay. I knew I was gonna be in the lineup as a true freshman. I committed to Lehigh in March of my junior year. Um, So all of that was already signed, CO delivered. You know, there was no stress around recruiting. And I knew I was gonna be in the lineup. I'm like, okay, at that time, you know, I thought I was gonna be a 25 pounder and Matt McDonough was the guy. So all year, McDonough was the guy that in my head, I'm like, that's the guy I'm chasing. That's the guy I gotta get good enough to beat. So every day, whether it was competing, whether it was lifting, whether it was wrestling and practice, whatever, that was the goal. It was all NCAA title focused. Obviously, every time I competed, you know, I wanted to win and dominate, whether it was Ironman, King of the Mountain, Mannheim, PIAAs, whatever, you know, because that, if you get good, you get yourself good enough to win a national title, you're going to be just fine at the high school level, right? Right, yep. And that's kind of the way my mindset worked that year. Okay, so talk to me. Um, and uh, I, I talk about this with a lot
0: of guys. Talk to me about your recruiting process. Um, what made Lehigh the right choice for you? And now, you know, why do? You, how do you use your um, story or uh, experience to help navigate the guys that you're that are all going through? Because you you guys are producing hammers after hammers at Quest how are you guys how are you using your uh recruiting process to help those guys
1: yeah so my recruiting process um you know back when we were in high school right Mm -hmm. you know again just a decade ago but the the timeline of contact was was very different so pretty much from day one coaches could send you form letters and stuff like that but they couldn't call you until July one going into your senior year, okay but you could take on official visits before then um, that you could email before then you could do you know they could send you handwritten letters before then and everything um, you know it back then too, that was before unlimited texting was something that everybody had so they the NCAA hadn't been forced to cross't that crazy up. man it's like it's, it's just a decade ago it's changed so much already insane. You know, back then, I think my cell phone plan had like 250 text messages a month both ways or something. <laughs> but yeah, so it, how, you know, how I came into the picture, I went on every visit with my brother. Um, okay. My dad, that, that was one of the things that my dad wanted for me because, you know, my dad didn't know much about the process. Obviously, I didn't either. As my brother started, I was 12 or 13. So through my brother's process, I learned a lot. Um, I began to understand what I wanted, what mattered to me. You know, what I you know what I would think would matter to me in a program, and a coach, and a university. Um, and you know, to be blunt, there were, were a lot of programs that I kind of eliminated right away because of the way they either treated my brother or just the way they interacted. Um, not always negative, just not something for everybody you know, I wanted to go somewhere that was a high level academic school. Right. So, you know, I looked at Ivy's, I put a, you know, my final two schools were Stanford and Lehigh. Um, you know, UVA was in there. Like I said, the Ivy's Cornell, Harvard, they were in the conversation. So, but what made Lehigh different, uh, was a couple of things. One was that they were sending me stuff from the beginning, you know, uh, John Hughes, especially Hughes, was kind, of belie- was kind of a believer from the very, very start. Um, Hughes had seen me wrestle at different points just for – I don't even know, you know, know why he would have been in events, but um, like at the NHSCA duels, he saw me wrestle in the high school division when I was in seventh and eighth grade and stuff like that. And, um, Hughes built the relationship early, which meant a lot to me. And, you know, beyond that, Coach Santoro, Coach Hughes, Coach Dylan, they were all just – Every time I talk to them, just very raw, just very real, very honest. Um, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a better group of people on a coaching staff than those three, you know, and obviously Hughes ha- has has since left. But, um, you know, I put my money down that Coach Santoro's the best human being in college wrestling, and that was super evident really from the first interaction. Um, Brian Letters, who was a-, a Quest guy, I'm sure you remember Brian, wrestled for Santoro, Maryland. So – You know, when I kind of got to be serious about Lehigh, we called um, his mom, Patty Letters. My dad calls Patty Letters and says, hey, you know, catch up a little bit. Mason's thinking about going to Lehigh. You know, what did you think? And he couldn't even finish the question about what did you think of Santoro? And she cuts him off and goes, if you get a chance for your son to wrestle for Pat, do whatever you have to do to get him there. Wow. Um, And and she couldn't have been – more more right you know it was the best decision i ever made and and beyond that too they were it was a program that was a rebuild for sure you know i think coach santora's first year there they were like 45th at ncaa's they weren't great you know needed a culture change um that class and myself and nate brown were and you know at the time eric Hess was supposed to be the class ahead of us before his health problems but um, we were the guys that got recruited in to be the faces of the change and to me that was super exciting um it allowed me to stay inside of pennsylvania which was really, you know, meant a lot to me to fly the, fly the whole time it was cool. So it was just a combination of things. It felt like home with all the tradition and the history. It felt like the Reynolds program, you know, just kind of on steroids. Yeah. Um, I dare anybody to go on a recruit trip, go to a door to Grace Hall, and I'll love it. It's, it, it. I'll put that venue. It's not as big. It's not as many people, but it's as good a venue as there is in college wrestling. Yeah. And again, just the quality of people. I knew that hell or high water, I would be taken care of, and my development as a person would be taken care of with the people there.
0: Yeah, and and you know, I've heard your story a bunch of times, and it's very adamant just based on how passionately you talk about Coach Santoro. And mm-hmm. um, selfishly, me being a Pitt fan, I really wanted him <laughs> to get the job at Pitt. Uh, when they they made the change, um, but he obviously does a great job, uh, and and you know I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about him, wrestlers, coaches, whatever the case may be. Um, so you you end up at Lehigh, and you said it's a big thing because of the family as aspect, and um, you know it just felt like home, and it's a big part of you being the change. Um, is that something you kind of try to instill in your kids, or is everyone a little bit different based off what they have going through?
1: Everybody's different, man. Every single one of our guys, and not just our guys, everybody's a little bit different in what they want and what they need. And it's so interesting. It's been really cool from the coaching side to see how a kid's family life experiences, high school program, personal life, how the different things that they go through in their life affect and mold the type of program that they're drawn to. I mean, it's about who you are as a person, right? And that inevitably, invariably is, you know, based on who you are as a person, what you value and what you value is going to draw you to certain programs. There is no cookie cutter program. Don't get me wrong. Um, if, if Jim and I, you know, Jim's a WVU alum, obviously. Um, if, if we could just plug elite kids into Lehigh and in West Virginia, um, I'm sure neither one of us would complain about that. <laughs> But, you know, that that's that's not doing right by kids. And you got to make sure that at the end of the day, we're here to help these kids grow up and find an avenue into, into bigger and better things for their life. So but everybody's a little bit different. Um, Jim and I are fortunate to have a lot of friends and relationships at the Division One level. So the role that we try to play, and, you know, I, I really try to learn from Jim on this on a daily basis because he's been doing this for two decades – is to be a facilitator. You know, you allow these coaches into our room, allow coaches access to the kids so they can build relationships and so they can be real. You know, um, you, you see, touch and feel it, right? You can actually experience a little bit of how they run practice and more importantly, how these coaches operate. And the coaches can see that with kids. And when you allow relationships to kind of organically happen, it gives, those, it gives our kids a much, much better chance of choosing, of making a fully informed and educated decision on where they wanna go. Right,
0: and you know, I think that that's super important and uh, because ultimately you as a coach and we're gonna get a bunch into your coach, um, but you, and I talked a bunch with this, with Coach Slack on this, uh, more so, yeah, the wrestling's important, but you want them to be great people whenever it comes out and, mm-hmm. and making sure the right fit for them is very important uh, not only for wrestling, but for academics and, and for setting yourself up life after wrestling. Um, so, you know, and we'll get back all into that in here in just a little bit. But you know, let's get back into your competing side. Uh, you make the jump. You're going to you're going to Lehigh, and right off the bat, you're in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that freshman year. And obviously, you're saying you're chasing Matt McDonough, right? So you mm-hmm. you set your bar at the very top. Um, how did that season go for
1: you? Man, it was, uh, it was a lot of ups and downs. So when I came in, um, and I I don't know between my growth pattern naturally, I think, and a college weight program, um, my senior year, I wrestled 125, my senior high school, I wrestled 25. I only weighed about 27 or 28. I didn't really cut weight. So that summer though, I got up to you know, 45, 47, you know, I was much, much bigger than I'd ever been. Late summer, um, coaching staff kind of asked me like, hey, what do you want to do? With 25 or 33? You're the guy at either one. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm a 25 pounder, right? That's just what I had in my head and ran with it. And in reality, I was a tweener. Um, I wasn't great about how I cut the weight or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure I was still growing. Like I said, I was a little bit of a tweener. But the first semester was the only one I spent at 25. It was a struggle for me. Um, like I said, I didn't do myself any favors with the way that I cut the weight. Um, but at the same time, I do think moving up was definitely what was best for me. I fought the decision, you know, and actually what led to me moving up was we wrestle our last duel against Penn State first semester. We go home for Christmas break, come back um, a few days, whatever it is, three days before Midlands, right? So i come back three days before midlands and i was like 13 over or something and some stupid you know some stupid thing especially for a little guy right you come back and step on the scale and you know santoro well i tried not to step on the scale for one right. but i got i got tracked down they forced me on the scale so i'm just way too heavy right so santoro was like well okay you're not like you're not gonna wrestle with midlands you know because even if like Talking to him about it since then, he's like, you would have made the way you just would have wrestled like trash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, so he's like, but you'll come on the trip with us. You'll work out a couple times each day and, you know, we'll work your weight back down, right? The next morning, he tells me he's thinking about moving me up, which apparently I didn't know this. This had been a conversation the whole first semester amongst the coaching staff that they'd been wanting to move me up. So he goes, you know, we might move you up. That's a morning practice. Afternoon practice that day says, Okay, you're definitely moving up to 33. <laughs> and I'm and, and, and he goes, uh I might call Drew Perry, Drew was head coach of Northwestern. He goes, I might call Drew and see if I can get you into Midlands at 33. He's like, probably won't be able to, but you know, we're gonna give it a shot, right? Little did I know he already had me in the tournament at 33. <laughs> right. But this story gets even better. We fly to Chicago. We are I at this point I still think I'm not in the tournament. We land in O'Hare Airport, we're at baggage claim. Every time I walk through O'Hare's baggage claim, I think about this too. We're standing at baggage claim and Brad Hughes and Pat are standing there talking and Brad's like, Pat, you really need to tell him that he's wrestling. (laughs) And Pat's like, all right. So he just walks over, you know, and I'm still like, I'm still embarrassed that I was so heavy from like coming back from Christmas and everything else, right? So Pat walks over, just tap, Coach Pat walks, taps me on the shoulder, says, hey, we got you into the tournament at 33. How's your weight? I'm like, uh, I'm like two over. <laughs> 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 so, oh my God. so I moved up and it was the best thing. It was right. the best decision for sure. You know, I felt better, competed better. was, you know, I'll put it to you this way. I talk as much as anybody you'll ever meet. And Coach Santoro will tell you this, too. He's like, the way that we all knew you were too sucked out at 25 is you never talked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you got to know your athlete. That's so funny.
1: Um, so, yeah, you know, I was much, much, I was much better the second semester. Qualified for NCAA. You know, I had a couple wins over All-Americans. Didn't wrestle great the postseason. Um, kind of clammed up a little bit. Uh, went one and two at NCAAs. But um up and down, but the back half of year 33 was a lot more fun for a lot of reasons.
0: That's, you know, and looking back on your career, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just off your, uh, just based off your record. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you, so you move up, uh, and the next year, did you re- red shirt, right? The next year. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So talk about that redshirt year and that kind of sabbatical. Um, Was that important for you? Did you need that Um, or was it more of a coach's decision? You kind of fought it and then ultimately uh, it worked out, you know, in your favor.
1: It was definitely needed, you know, uh, coming in before I ever even committed, you know, we talked about like I wanted to do five years and to be honest with you, a big part of the reason I wanted to do five years because I wanted to get my master's while I was competing. So we knew I was going to do five years. As the year progressed, you know, obviously in parallel to the season, recruiting's happening, right? And at that time, fall into winter of senior year is when most kids committed. So we put together the – we, the coaching staff, put together the number one or two recruiting class in the country in that class behind us, which had Randy Cruz, uh, Mitchell Minotti, you know, Doug Valero, um, Brandon Griffin, who coming out of high school was a huge recruit, um, and actually was really, really good, and just had some really unfortunate stuff happen in his personal life. But so we put this monster of a recruiting class together behind me, and the way that our roster worked, my true—and this is why I wrestled as a true freshman—was we were top heavy. You had Zach Ray as a fifth-year senior, my true freshman year. Um, Brandon Hatchett was a fifth-year senior. Joe Kennedy was a true senior. So you had this group of, I mean, those three were all Americans that year and Ray and Hatchet were finalists, right? So we put the, basically we knew we could be in the top five and we sent everybody that included Nate Brown. So that's why Nate Brown and I wrestled right away. So the next year was kind of um, not a punt year, but I mean, to be honest with you, in some ways it was because. We knew we had some more people to move around. We knew we were going to be super, super young moving forward. So I redshirted along with basically the entire class below me. And it was a conversation, you know, between Santoro and the coaching staff and myself, but I was totally on board with it. Um, literally Saturday night at NCAA, he told me that's what was going to happen. You know, Saturday night of my true freshman year in NCAA, he told me that was the case. So I knew it all year. Um, I worked out more, trained more that year than – maybe every other year combined just because the way that I looked at it, you can't overtrain as a red shirt. Um, you know, you're not really, other than the Midlands, I didn't really care to peak for anything. I competed all the time. I think I wrestled like 45 matches. I wrestled more bouts that year than any other year. Um, and it was really good. And it was super important for the future of our program too, because that group, other than a couple of guys, you know, Nate wrestled the line, in the lineup as a true sophomore um, and Randy Cruz and Lake Gardner, did at different points at 33 um randy ended up as the the starter but of the, the us all spent all year running around doing the open circuit together you know and right. the open circuit is just like the wild west of college wrestling it is uh the stories i could tell you man filing <laughs> people into a car and just these hysterical things but it, we really bonded the core of the program moving forward, other than really, like I said, two or three guys just who were in the lineup. Um, we, we had a ton of fun together and we bonded and we started to grow up together. So both for me personally, you know, my growth building into 33, really growing to be a 33 pounder, um, and the core future of our program. Um, it was super valuable for all of us. Yeah. And
0: that, um, you know, and, and talking about that, uh, you know, that that flow starting to do this, uh, Penn State documentary, right? And they're and they're going through uh, the David Taylor years and the Ed Ruth years and things of that nature. And you know they essentially had a punt year when Ohio State won. I believe it was Logan Stever's senior year. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, talking about that, and that's hey, that's that's a good way to look at it. And, and you know, you went out about went about it the right way. You can't overtrain as a redshirt, and you just kind of grinded your way. <laughs> and so we're moving into your sophomore year this is the year you kind of break through and you become an all-american correct Mm -hmm. okay so talk to me about that year uh just kind of uh you know touch on some stuff you know your midlands and things of that nature going through Mm -hmm. um and you get to the ncaa tournament and you break through and you become an all-american um talk to me about uh finally breaking that and and realizing another one of your goals because uh, you know the the All American and round of twelve round at NCAAs is like magic to me. I, I it, there's no other round like that in in the sport of wrestling anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So just just chat me up on that. I I, I really want to understand that about you.
1: Yeah. So going into the year, I knew I was good enough. You know, I, I took fourth at Midlands as uh, in my redshirt year. Um, both of those losses were to Tyler Graff, who. Um, you know, I think ended up as a four-time All-American and obviously a national finalist. So, looking at it going, okay, you know, I lost four matches all year. Two were to Graf. um, The other two were to Mark Gray, who I think I went three and two against that year, right? So, I beat Scotty Santas, who was the number two guy in the country that year. I beat multiple All-Americans as a redshirt. So, like, all right, I know I'm good enough to do this. There is no no question in my brain about that. That's a proven thing. As the season progresses, you know, you just try to do what's in front of you keep trying to grow and, um, do the job and obviously help. We were just so young, man. Um, I'm a redshirt sophomore and I was one of the old guys. Like I was one of the captains and it was really me and Joey Napoli who that year was a redshirt. I think Joey would have been a redshirt junior senior that yeah, redshirt senior that year. But you know, really other than Joey, we were so young. Our lineup was, um, And Joey, you know, great leader, great teammate, just was a little bit separated because, you know, he was a couple years apart from everybody. Um, So, doing my best to be a leader, you know, doing my best for, like I said, that class that we all redshirted together behind me. Now we're all, a lot of us are in a lineup together. So, um, we're all trying to grow together. And at the same time, I'm trying to, you know, you got to be a little bit selfish in wrestling to take care of yourself. So, go to Midlands. I take fifth there um, in a bracket that, as it turned out, we had, I think, five of the top six kids in the country in that bracket. Um, Maybe more. I think we had, like, six All-Americans in that weight. Like, six of the eight All-Americans at the end of the year were in that bracket. So, come out of Midlands. Uh, We wrestle Iowa in a duel at Stabler at home. You know, I lose to Ramos 3-1, but that, it's funny, because that match did me a lot of good. Um, I wasn't on the mat for, like, a 10 days before that um, my knee blew up I had to get it drained and all that fun stuff so I go out and wrestle Ramos and and I don't want to say I was afraid of him but I was a little bit unsure because Ramos like man that was the hype train coming in right. and he was the number one coming into that year he was the number one guy um and even though Cologne had decked him at Midlands that year and everything there was still and it's Iowa right you know never as somebody that grows up in the sport, man, that Iowa singlet um, and that Iowa program, there is a mystique to it. You know, them in Oklahoma State, you know, that you just can't describe those super historic programs. Um, so I, I wrestle Ramos in the duel, lose 3 1. Not a whole lot happened. Um, one flurry where he got a reshot takedown. And I remember walking off that mat going, I'm absolutely, I'm every bit as good as him. Like, that's a match I can win. And it just reaffirmed in my head, like, I can win a national title. So, you know, go through EIWAs, um, win a conference title, go to NCAAs, get Ryan Mango, who's returning two-time All-American. I get him second round. Um, get through Mango and, you know, what ended up being a little bit of a funky match by the end, um, you know, Mango throwing headlocks and mixers and everything by the end of it. But, I wrestled Rambos again in the quarters. Um, lose a heartbreaker, a match that I felt like I wrestled the match I needed to. Just ran out of time, the first and second period on the leg attacks that I had. Um, and he did what he had to do, beats me 3-1 again. Um, I remember uh, he took me down with like 20 seconds left to win, and that Iowa wow. crowd just goes bonkers. Right. dude. It's, it's so much worse when you're the guy on the mat.
0: <laughs> That's what I hear. Tarquinio no, was talking about it. He was in a corner, and he said he got lifted and turked, and he said he was in the Iowa corner like a national. He mm-hmm. said it's just, like, deafening. on how, And it's a real deal big boy thing whenever you're in that situation.
1: Well, and, you know, during the quarters, if you look at the scores of the other three quarterfinals during that, my weight that year, the other three were well – if the clock was still going, they would long been over. Right. So it's me and Ramos coming down to the wire. I had been the only one on a leg that whole bout. I, to be honest, in my opinion, I out wrestled them. And now that's like, I out wrestled him, whatever. Like, I got no issue. So you scored more points than I did. Dude, beat me. Um. I really felt like things were rolling my way. And you can feel, it's hard to explain, but when you're on the mat, you can feel the arena. You can feel the gaze of it shift. And I, I mean, I knew very well halfway through that match i'm like this everybody's watching kind of thing right so yeah that last takedown hurt even a little bit more but you know when you talk about the the round of 12 the blood round you've got all day so i lose the quarters that morning you got all day to get reset and in my mind like job's not done you know absolutely was there to win a national title but there's no excuse to not to not do the job in front of you you know i was wrestling mark gray who i'd beaten before you know we'd had a bunch of battles he beat me at beating him. And I just looked at it and I'm like, job done. I It's been a goal of mine since I was a little, little kid to wrestle on Saturday. I can take care of that tonight. So let's just go get the job done. Um, and you go out, you let it rip. And I was fortunate enough to come out on the, the positive side. That feeling, that, that feeling is pretty special. That one's hard to explain. Um, it's, it's almost surreal. And it was cool too, because Darian won literally three minutes before I did right on the mat, right beside me, you know, so he was still like fresh off the mat, out of breath from celebrating in the in the same tunnel that I walked up into. Um, you know, Coach Santoro, I was the first like really, really highly ranked recruit to commit to Lehigh for him, you know, so his relationship, our relationship runs pretty deep based on that. There was just a ton of mutual faith there um, when it all started. Um, so hugging him, you know, getting through as like his first big recruit to get through and everything, there was just a lot of emotion wrapped up in that, you know, and then obviously my dad was there and everything. And, um, when I finally got to see my dad back at the hotel that night, that's just crazy. Cause you're, you do it together from the jump. Um, you know, I, I didn't cry when I want to stay tired. But I cried that night, man. It was, it's a super exciting, emotional night. It's just stuff. You don't forget.
0: Yeah. And, and talking about, uh you know you, you're breaking through and uh you talk about darian winning at the same time
1: mm-hmm.
0: him coming off the mat and, and did that get you jacked up uh and you know we talk a lot uh i talk to a lot of people about you know uh momentum and wrestling and is it a thing or isn't it mm-hmm. a thing um did, in your opinion do you think that helped you or did it mentally fatigue you saying well he got it done i can't let everyone down and not get it done
1: well, so when I say Darian, All-American three minutes before I did, like he was wrestling at the same time. Like his oh, okay. bout ended, right, because he wrestled this marathon, like 12-minute double overtime fiasco with David Turao that um, that ended. I, so the way I knew Darian won, this is a true story, him and I laughed about this. You know, you hear Jason Bryan or at the time, I, pretty, I think Sandy Stevens was still announcing NCAAs. You but I heard the announcement and I never heard anything when I was on the mat other than my corner. But I heard the announcement that Darian won while I'm on the mat and I was winning like two nothing third period of time. And I remember my head going, I can't screw this up now. Like <laughs> and I'm like I gotta win now. Yeah. Um. So I walked off the mat. Um. But it, it, the larger question about momentum and like does it help you? Does it hurt you? It it's super dependent on the person me personally, I wasn't a momentum guy. Never was the time I was a little kid. And I think it's because we just, we wrestled so much growing up that I got used to whether it was super hot, super cold gym, whatever environment it was like, I learned to just kind of control what I could and just go compete. Now there are absolutely people who need momentum or not need it, but benefit from it going in. Um, everybody's different you know what I mean right
0: so you know and not to skip kind of past your junior year but I do want to talk about your spreadshirt senior year because you know mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about this a lot on other podcasts and it was kind of a different year for you than, than you know what what your oh, two yeah. years have been prior um and you tell a great story uh at nationals that year and uh you know, one of your, your best friends. And I believe this story's right. And if I get it wrong, I'm sorry, but Randy all Americans, uh, yep. that year and, and you lose uh round of 12, right?
1: Yeah. So right in a row, I think all three of us were on the same map, but if Darian wrestled right in front of me, loses in overtime in the round of 12, I walk on lose on if I have a, half a second more So I walk off the mat and the way the, the Madison Square Garden was set up, as far as like where we kept our stuff, there's like an escalator. You kind of go back in the tunnel, there's an escalator, drops down into the theater where like the beat the street stool was. Right. And that and that's where everybody kept their stuff and they had drop down projector screens showing all of the feeds of the, of the mats, Right. So I walked down and, you know, I wasn't this, it's, it's hard to explain the feeling cause I wasn't disappointed cause I wrestled great that night. Um, it was just one of those matches that Conway and I could have wrestled all night. Nobody was going to lead by more than one or two. It just, when the buzzer went, the buzzer went, he was winning and I wasn't. Um, it also helps to, to be honest with you. Um, Jordan's a great dude helped. that um, <laughs> It was somebody that I actually liked Then right. I'm like, all right, if this is how it has to end, I'm glad it's somebody like you, but no, I walked down and I sit down in the theater and I knew Randy was wrestling and you can't watch from the tunnel. So I just walked down and I sat down and I watched Randy beat Micah Jordan. Um, you know, Randy turns him in the second period and I got down there halfway through the second period when Randy had a cradle locked up and Mike is on his back. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, we took top. I didn't realize Jordan took bottom. They go to the third period, Randy chooses top. I'm like, this match is over. Like, Randy's gonna get through. So I just, I like lose my mind. I'm throwing my t-shirt and shorts on. I run up. I actually ran up the down escalator cause I was so excited. <laughs> ran up the down escalator. Um, I forgot my credential down in the theater. So this security woman's trying to stop me. I just ran right through her. Um, Oh, probably almost broke Randy's ribs. I almost tackled him onto the concrete after he got off the mat at, you know, and it's, it's one of the things that makes wrestling special. And I, I I can't speak to other programs, but I can't speak to the Lehigh one. And it, you know, we really were, and it still is a family. Um, and it instantly, anything, any self pity or whatever for myself, man, it went away because if, if you'd asked me going into that night, only one of you two can get through, I would have told you, Randy, in a heartbeat. Um, he'd never, you know, he'd never been through. I'd been fortunate enough to get through twice, and one of my best friends, one of my workout partners, um, and he deserved to get through. It was awesome good stuff man
0: and that's you know i just had the zanetta brothers on and you talk about uh, a brotherhood in wrestling and that's what you've been preaching here a lot and mm-hmm. you know i could see that and we're gonna move shift gears a little bit here into your end of the quest program um but i could definitely see where the the things that you're talking about with the lehigh program i could see very uh big correlations at the quest program um mm-hmm. so you know you're done with college how did you go about how did you find your way back here in Pittsburgh um you know you're you're living all the way out in Lehigh how did you find your way back here in Pittsburgh with uh with Jim and uh why was it important to you to come back and and kind of help the the fruits of your labor so to speak to and help uh you know go, go back to where you kind of grew up
1: so when a lot of us you know who were alum we're in college like quest alone or in college jim you know he because he would always take four three four teams down at virginia beach for the nhsca duels obviously jim you know he's run the program by himself can't coach four teams by himself for, right so he would get a hold of me anthony mackenzie mcguire kyle bauer uh barstool kb if you don't know yeah, who he yep, is yep, I know. um just uh, oh my god the story's with that kid, but, you know, he would get a hold of us and we'd all go down to Virginia beach and help coach. Right. And that's how it started to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. I remember one year, all of us are Jim would, we would just ride the van and uh, Jim's conversion van. We go down and we're on the way back one year and Jim just kind of brought it up. He's like, Hey man, if any of you guys ever want to do this or you're back in the area or whatever, like I can't do it forever. Um, right. And it kind of left the door open and it just stuck with me. So after I, you know, Friday night at NCAA is my senior year um, after I lost to Conaway, I went up and I sat down with Jim and his wife, Jen, and we probably talked for, I don't know, half hour. or So we just, you know, laughed about different memories through my career and stuff. But um, I asked him like, Hey, is that, is that still a standing offer? Like if, you know, I get a job in the area, you know, would I be able to come in and coach with you? And he was like, absolutely, man. Like I would love it. So I was fortunate enough. um, I looked for jobs in the Pittsburgh area, obviously. And I was fortunate enough to get one. And, and, you know, the reason it was important to me is because it is a family, you know, my best friends, a lot of my best friends, the Zanetta brothers, Mac McGuire, KB um, so many of those guys, Colt shorts, Connor Schramm like they're from Quest and we have years and years of memories together and none of us are where we are in life forget about wrestling but we learned so much about life and how to conduct ourselves from gym yeah you know the the motto at Quest from the time I can remember has always been you know you want to be a good person first student second athlete third right so take care of everything so it just, it meant a lot. I wanted to give back, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed coaching. Don't get me wrong, it helps that it's a group of, a good group of kids. Um, it's right. be blunt, it's more, it's more fun to coach good kids. It just is. Right. Um, but yeah, I think more than anything, just the family of it, you know, you feel right. compelled to give back to those who have given so much to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's
0: definitely interesting. Um, and again, I'll kind of enter in the conversation a little bit like this. Um, last year, uh, I married my girlfriend of four years as uh, actually, you probably know him, uh, John Kiriakopoulos' sister, Alex. Uh, he wrestled with Mackenzie mm-hmm. McGuire at Upper Saint Clair, so yeah. um, you know, and and they he was a big part of the Quest family too. And he take his very him and uh, my father in law Jim have very high regards for Jim and Jim Akerly that is, and how he does everything. And it was actually kind of funny. Um, a quick story here: my my father in law took over the you know the Pee Wee program at Upper Saint Clair, and he wrestled for Lehigh, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he said that he went to Jim. And uh, this will probably be funny for you because I know you could probably see him doing this. He went to Jim and was like, listen, I kind of want to build my program here, how you have your program at Quest. And uh, I guess the Jim Akerle kind of grunted and was like, well, oh, I have an outline. And he he gave my father-in-law like a three page handwritten outline on how he kind of runs his program. So. Um, it's very cool, and you know that's why I was super excited to have you on to kind of touch base and kind of get into the inner workings of the mind of Jim Ankerley because he's kind of a pulverizing figure around here, you know. <laughs> For sure. You know, and and you talk to a lot of For people, sure. and some people, you know, and you're not not everyone's going to like you. Some people don't like him. You know, he's he's very blunt on how he do th- how he does things, and he's very intense. Oh,
1: some pe some people flat out hate him. Right exactly yeah 100 yeah, percent.
0: yeah and but you know the results speak for itself uh so you know you talk about that that brotherhood that you also found at quest and now you're giving back um mm-hmm. you're coaching here now what um you know and, and this is something that i i felt really compelled to bring up and i think it's very important you guys don't get enough of the respect nationally that you should uh you look at the the clubs like young guns and um uh like the Askins wrestling club out in wisconsin and uh i believe it's minnesota storm or minnesota lead something like that all those Ball, clubs are always mentioned them and
1: pinnacle pinnacle yeah pinnacle,
0: yeah, pinnacle that's the other one so yep. all those clubs yep. are mentioned but quest is never mentioned and you guys are producing guys like just this year alone you guys got like thane lawrence who was in super 32 finals peyton hall who's a gladiator guy and then came over and started wrestling with you guys Um, And, you know, obviously I know Peyton pretty well and his dad and and mom are awesome people. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys are producing these and and before that, you know, or Sammy Hill and Ryan Sullivan and all these guys are, Mm -hmm. you know, top level athletes in the entire country. But you guys don't ever get brought up around that. And I think that, you know, you guys are definitely deserve that. Um, I don't know if you could speak on that on why you think that's the case. Um, But I, I think that's something that that should be discussed
1: for sure. So I think there's a few reasons. Um, Number one, and you know Jim, right? You know, Jim is not, he's he's not a self-promoter. You know, he's not a guy, like, he doesn't care to do social media. He's got a Facebook and that's it. Um, You know, he's not real active on there at all. Other than disseminating information to our club members or keeping people updated on results, our social media isn't real active. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of... Um, I mean, again, just self-promotion. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not the way that Jim has ever done it. Um, it's not the way that, that we do it. You know, and beyond that, I think the other thing too, let, let's be totally honest. Um, I think certain individuals at certain clubs have relationships with people that cover the sport. Yeah. And I think based on that, um, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. I think certain groups get more coverage, get pushed and presented to the public eye far more than mm-hmm. others do. Um, and that's fine. That's the way the world works, man. It just is what it is. But our focus is purely on helping those kids, you know, it, it, it whenever they come into our room, whether it's like Sammy, you know, Sammy Hillegas and Ryan Sullivan coming in when they were eight years old or whatever they were. Or a kid like Peyton who, for whatever reason, wanders over and decides to start splitting time between our room and and your guys at Gladiators as a uh, sophomore, junior in high school, right? At any time, and for whatever duration we have, because not everybody sticks, right? Your retention rate is never 100. For however long they're there, making ourselves, making us a resource to them and really trying to develop them. Again, first and foremost as kids, as young adults, but... Um, obviously develop, trying to develop the wrestling and doing our best to um, develop for the most part fundamentals and kind of tool the you know add tools to the toolbox that they have so I think that's a big part of it um and it, it one of the things it does kind of blow my mind Jim was a division I all-American he was West Virginia's all-time wins leader when he graduated um, and I, I, he was he held the wins record until greg Jones right so it's not like it, he only held it for a year or two um he the guy it it took one of the probably 10 best college wrestlers ever to break the record you know and then he he coached at the divisional level for quite a while between West Virginia Edinburgh Ryder, UVA and was the head coach at American University and he won conference coach of the year a couple times you know he's done it at the highest level um in more ways than one you know and then he um a friend of his got him to come to Pittsburgh and start Quest uh, when we, you, know, when, when you and I were kids. P- people don't know Jim's story, and people don't even know – literally don't even know who he is. Like, to the point where I will point him out and say, oh, well, that's Jim. They're like, oh, that's Akerley. Like, I never knew that's who that was. Like, people don't even – obviously not Pennsylvania, but a wider, like, more national scope. It's Super 32, Journeyman. like, they don't know who he is again, literally don't, to walk by, don't even know who he is. Um, you know, so people don't know a story. And I think to my earlier point, it is partially because he's not a self promoter. Um, he's just kind of a, I don't know if quiet is the best word. Um, (laughs) but you know, he's not a guy that, not a guy that really puts his story out there and he's got a great story to tell. Um, you know, he's not a guy that does this kind of stuff a whole lot. Um, that does the interviews and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a lot of it. And again, our focus is purely on like, Hey, let other people get the coverage, whatever, man, let's get the, let's, let's just keep making these kids better. Let's, we're trying to build the best club in the country. Um, you know, and that's what we really strive for every year, especially for, I mean, you know, the area of Washington, Pennsylvania is not exactly the the metropolitan hub of Pitt, the Pittsburgh area. Right. We're, you know, kids drive, kids drive 30 minutes an hour an hour and a half to get here Caden cassidy drives from freaking bedford um i drove down you know we drove down from reynolds and everything so um we take a relatively small group of kids um and we do the best we can with them right and that's all we're focused on and you know uh, talking
0: about that and talking about just the the kids and you know, and I talked about this with Ty Nauman on my uh, episode with him. Mm-hmm. You guys recently all kind of came together in Gladiators as part of this uh, this yep. bond program um, that mm-hmm. you guys are doing. Talk about how, to me, it's one of the coolest things uh, to kind of everyone come together. And, you know, I talked to uh, Nauman about this. And, you know, it's not that, you know, where you want to trade off wrestlers or here or there, or whatever, but, you know, you got. We're all kind of growing together as a as a unit, and, and just kind of helping just PA wrestling in general. And I think it's so cool. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me about um, why you guys were uh, interested in being part of Pawn, and, and why why is it uh, important? Because I know you guys host a lot of the practices, and you guys, you know, yeah. really bronze the spectrum on the amount of hammers that you guys get in that room.
1: Yeah, so. You know, it was really Jim and Ty's brainchild. You know, I think Jim called Ty to begin with, and that's kind of, or maybe Ty called Jim, but whatever it was, that was the genesis of it. And it started while I was still coaching George Mason. Um, But, you know, I still talk to Jim all the time through that, you know, that year and everything. But no, it was born out of kind of like what you said, just wanting to help kids. And I mean, for us to help each other as coaches, you know, being able for us, for Jim and I to be able to pick Justin Waters at at Gladiators or Ty, you know, Ty Nauman or the guys over at, you know, Matt Factory or the Waller family and those guys over at All American, like you have such a wealth of experience and information and just different perspectives. You know, um, there've been a lot of conversations we've had at the joint practices where whether it's, you know, say Ty's perspective with, one of our kids, he goes, well, you ever tried this with him? And I'm like, to be honest, no, we haven't. Right. And it's just a different perspective that helps our kid. And the same thing with one of, and other of our perspectives, helping a kid from a different club um, from a, from partner standpoint, it's awesome. Iron sharpens iron. It's a cliche, but it's true. You know, yeah, some of the, those pawn practices, man, it, it, it got to be pretty silly with the the number of high caliber kids you had in those rooms with just i mean you could sit there and watch like that, that's a state final that's a state final that you know what i mean it's just yeah. it's, it was really really fun and it was cool because nobody and not just the high school level the youth level too right you know did it all the way up through and it was cool because by and large the coaches and families everybody was very open and willing to share and really work, really work together. Um, unfortunately, I think in today's environment, there's a lot of people that will go to a club and, like, hey, I want to try it out. Realistically, what they're doing, you know, 10, 11 year old kids, what they're trying to do is see what another kid's working on and then they leave. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. 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 That doesn't help. <laughs> no. But no. But but you know though everybody that was coming to the Pond stuff and still does it's um it was really encouraging and it's why we reached out it, it's why the network worked out the way that did with who's involved is everybody cares about the kids cares about wrestling and we're willing to help each other
0: yeah no doubt and um, talking about that and we're gonna kind of slowly wrap this up I'm gonna have a couple different mm-hmm. points I still want to talk about here but um. So you know, you talk about that Jim's not really a self-promoter, and you guys kind of are on uh, Instagram and stuff a little bit. But mm-hmm. you know, you have this platform. Tell my listeners, uh, because I have a lot of youth wrestler, uh, youth parents, and stuff that listen to my podcast. Tell them what they would expect, because a lot of and and like you talked about earlier, Jim has that reputation around the community. He's very tough. He's very hard, and he's very cold at times, right? talk to you know my listeners about what to expect if they were to come to quest
1: so well first and foremost um one of the biggest things is you know if you're starting at the youth level we run like a six to eight week novice camp every normally every spring obviously COVID threw a massive monkey wrench into everybody's plans but we don't normally you know if it's a kid that's in his first or his or her first or second year, you know, they're still like learning stance of motion, stuff like that. Um, And I think this is the case by and large with any club. You're probably better off going to your youth program, right? Get your basics down. And then with any club, that's when club wrestling comes in. So beyond that, um, what you expect is um, you're going to work. You're going to work hard. You're going to work smart. And you're going to be held accountable. And I think, to be honest with you, that's the thing with Jim. It's just like, everything is so blunt. Everything is so just straightforward, man, that a lot of people and, you know, not to dive too much into this topic, but this day and age more and more and more, I feel that parents never want you to say, not necessarily negative, but an honest thing to their kids. Like, hey, little, I mean, use myself as an example, man. Part of the reason we stuck with Quest, you know, when we started going there was Jim, like, he doesn't chew you out or anything. It's not like he's going to go bananas because you're stepping with the wrong foot. But, okay, no, no, right? You know, it's not just going to be, okay, all right, great job, you know, Mason, whatever. Like, you get held accountable and, and it's a sliding scale too, because if it's one of our kids that's been coming for four years and they're still screwing up a high crotch, like, yeah, they're going to get laid into more than a kid that's there the first week that we don't know what their background is. And we're not going to hold them accountable for that. But again, accountability is a big part of it. You know, if we, if we have a reasonable expectation that you should know something and you should be able to do it, it's no different than school, right? You know, your teacher, like if you've been in whatever, you know, and Algebra class for your full year, you should be able to find X.
0: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, that so does, that's, so that's how we approach it. Yeah. And I think that's good to talk about because like you said, uh, you know, uh, it, across just the, the, the youth, uh, circuit and, and things of that nature, that's kind of how gyms perceived. And, and I think that at this point in this day and age, kids need that more than anything. Uh, they need a little bit of structure and, uh, you know, I just became a parent for the first time, and I talked about this on my last couple podcasts, and, um, you know, I'm not one for participation trophies. I'm not one for anything like that. No. I'm not one for baby and um, kids, uh, and I, I've got the sense that Jim's never been a part of that, that, that <laughs> the way of doing things. Uh, no. Just from the outside looking in, from you know, and obviously I'm Aaron McKinney's one of my best friends, and you know he's but he's wrestled for Jim, uh, you know, a few times and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's you know you hit the nail on the head on how on how kind of what to expect, um, and I think that pawn is really good for that because you get a touch of Jim mm-hmm. Lee and then you can go back or Jim, and Jim Akerly and Mason Beckman, Ty Nauman and then you go back to your club or whatever the case may be. I think that. You know that's an awesome way to grow the sport here in western pennsylvania um so kind of wrapping it up on this note and this is something that i do with every guy i have on um and i'm curious to hear your answer uh my my podcast is called near falls with d hall and i want to know your favorite or most memorable it could be one of your teammates it could be one of your kids that you coached your favorite near fall or pin that you've ever been a part of in your career
1: Oh man, favorite <laughs> earfaller pen I've ever been part of. That's a good one. Um, well, I know I know what I would like to say, but I screwed it up. Uh, <laughs> I'm involving Thane. But I'm not gonna dwell. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're preaching to the choir. Oh man. That, man. Um, probably my, but for me personally, from my own career, uh, the first time I all American, um, went into nothing and gray tries a mixer and I stuffed it and I think I got five out of it or, or whatever. But I remember, you know, when you post out and stuff mixer, I heard, I actually didn't hear him award two. I heard him start to count near fall. And that was like when it like my head, like the gears on my head start turning. I'm like, holy smokes, it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so for me personally, that that's probably my favorite one. That was um yeah, it was just incredibly exciting. Awesome you stuff. And I, I do want to say one more a couple just real Go quick a couple more things about expectations with Quest. One of the things people need to understand about Jim is, and it's why those of us that came through were so fiercely loyal. You will never find a person that cares about his kids, the families. You'll never find somebody that cares about his, the family, the Quest family. You'll never find somebody that cares more. Um, He would do absolutely anything for any one of us. I've seen it firsthand, very, very far away from the wrestling man. He's an incredibly caring individual. The other thing too, that gets lost in the perception of Jim being the tough, mean guy is we have a ton of fun. You know, anybody that comes into our room, you ask our high school kids, even our youth kids, again, you're going to be held accountable, but we also have a, an absolute ton of fun. You know, uh, Ty, actually he was wrestling with Luke Stout one day during the season and Ty ducked him and I mean, put Luke flat on his face, like looked like he fell over (laughs) and still to this day, Luke takes crap. And he, and Luke laugh, laughs at himself about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just a very open, freewheeling environment where we have a ton of fun together. Um, so I think that's more than worth saying, you know, yeah. really getting out there that. Um,
0: and I think that's important to talk about because, I, you know, I had, I just released uh, my episode with the Zanetta brothers and Anthony mm-hmm. uh, really spoke to that um, on how, his dad and jim really made it fun for him growing up for you know especially at the youth level you know, you talk about kids wrestling's a tough sport man it's a meat grinder not everyone's cut out for what you know what we went through no um you know and to make it even a little fun is is a huge help uh in the sport for sure
1: oh absolutely you know the group of four that i mean anthony and i still are good friends the group before we had was me him frankie Martellotti, who won a state title for Side, and shane young who won three for penn trafford that was our group before every day and you know don't get me wrong we competitively were at each other's throats wrestled really hard but there would be times like i can remember one and i can't repeat what was said but <laughs> there were you know uh yeah there, you know, there would be times where we'd be wrestling live and somebody would crack a joke or something would happen. And literally, we would start laughing hysterically in the middle of wrestling live and you had four of the best kids in the country. It's just how we were, man. It was fun. Um, yeah you know, Jim, Jim was probably glad when all of us graduated because that group, uh, Anthony specifically, I've never seen anybody bust anybody else's balls the way Anthony does with Jim.
0: <laughs> I love it. And that doesn't surprise me. Just even knowing him a little bit. Uh, it's so funny.
1: <sighs> never stops.
0: <laughs> oh man. And you know, I, I, Mason, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you kind of coming on and telling your story and Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, telling the Quest story too, man, because I think that's important. Uh, You know, as much as I'm a gladiator's guy through and through, you know, i kind of seen the genesis of that and helped that work through. um, I think Quest is one of the best clubs out there along with, uh, you know, um, Team Nomen and things of that nature, just in general. And obviously, P. I feel that PA is the most uh, dominant state in the in the in the entire country for wrestling, Absolutely. no doubt. Uh, you know, you see these people talk about this on Twitter about the New Jersey and Ohio's and things of that nature. It's not close. It's really not close at all. Um, no. So, uh, you know, I think that you know what you guys are building and what Pawn is building. I think it's very important. I think it's very cool, and that's why I kind of wanted to have you on. Um, but with that being said, that's going to wrap up this edition uh, with Mason. Mason, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Hey, dude, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, one thing I do want to say is you guys at Gladiators do an awesome job. Justin Justin Waters is one of my favorite people in wrestling. Does not get nearly enough credit. Um, you guys do an outstanding job. And that young group you guys got with Little Waters and with Nico Taddy and everything, I uh I'm gonna be really bummed and really surprised if you got you know, if you don't get a state champ for West Day out of that group.
0: I hope so, man. I really I really do. I mean it's been a house of <laughs> horrors for West. <laughs> I know, for real. <laughs> but uh, you know, we he had a couple things happen this year and uh, at the state tournament, Little Waters that is, uh tie and uh you know, it just seems like everything yeah. goes against us up there. But you know, I'm sure that these guys they're they're both uh you know, both of those kids are awesome kids and I've Mm-hmm. Known them since they've been in diapers, you know. And uh I, I, for those kinds of words, it really means a lot to me. I appreciate that. And uh Absolutely. Um, so moving forward, just kind of a couple announcements for you guys. Uh you know, I just had Mason on. Uh actually my next guest is Jim Covert of Freedom High School, uh, the high school head, high school coach for Freedom. He's going to come on to kind of tell his story, and I think it's pretty cool. It's a little bit of a different perspective, being a double A school, not a lot of kids to not a lot of kids to pull from, and kind of the tradition that they have out there. Um, You know, they can't really get past Burrow, but no one really does in double A. So, all that being said, um, be on lookout for that. Like I said, guys, uh, check out D Three Nation podcast. Very, very cool, very informative stuff. And, uh, and that's all I have for you wrestling fans out there. Stay tuned for another edition of Deer Falls with D-Hall Wrestling Podcast. Thank you, guys.